0: You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric.
1: Well, good morning, Josh. It's
0: great to see you today from Western Africa there. How are things with you? Oh, things are going great. This week, we just finished um, renewing our paperwork to live here our visa and all that and it's always such a relief to get it finished uh, we're doing really good yeah having a great time here in Senegal how about you all over there in the Dominican Republic
1: oh it's uh, Christmas time full swing here with Thanksgiving in America so we're getting into full-bore Christmas mode here and uh, with that in mind being thankful as we uh, approach Thanksgiving in the coming days uh, we want to take time to thank you the listener for all of those who've taken time to download And subscribe to our podcast. Uh, Josh and I both individually have received some great feedback from people literally all over the world. And you know what? Even my mom and dad are listening. That's amazing. So I'm very excited. I got their thumbs up and their approval. So I'm thankful for that. But no, seriously, we want to um, say thank you. And the reason we started this podcast, Josh and I, was to be a blessing to anyone who wanted to hear what conversations would be like among other missionaries. And so that's kind of the style and the format we're trying. And we want to encourage you to contact us with your feedback, with suggestions for a future podcast, or maybe there's a certain topic you'd like to hear discussed, or maybe even an interview of someone involved in missions that you'd like to hear. We are open to that. and We like to hear your your feedback. And so uh, we're making this podcast for those who love and are very interested in missions and If it seems like um, there's something you want to hear, let us know. Because it seems like, Josh, people out there uh, enjoy this type of format. So we're going to continue to do this, at least until our wives say we can't, right?
0: Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's what a wise missionary <laughs> husband will uh, will take the advice of his wife a lot. And so, no, I really enjoy doing this, and uh, we have been getting some great feedback. And uh, you know, I'm learning a lot just interacting with different missionaries who have already sent in questions. And uh, you know, the greatest way to learn is ask questions and then seek the answers <laughs> from people who've had the experience, Mm -hmm. you know, people have the know-how. And so that's why I'm excited about the future with some of the interviews that we have lined up. uh, Some of the weeks, and rather than just listen to you and Mm -hmm. I discuss, We'll be uh, hosting some interviews with some, some veteran missionaries, some younger missionaries, some will be field directors, and we'll even interview some pastors and uh, anybody who's actively involved in missions. We want to get them on this show, yeah. just see what God is doing around the world. So we're so excited about already seeing how God is, going, is using this podcast, how it will be used in the future.
1: That's right. Uh, Today, Josh, we have another, what I consider, and you consider, very exciting topic. And this one, today, we're going to kind of turn the tables. Last uh, podcast, you kind of mostly interviewed me about our experience when we first came to the field here in the Dominican Republic. But today, I get the joy of kind of uh, interviewing you more specifically about your experience, because they were different. And that's really the case with every missionary. All of our experiences are different, although there are similarities. And so today, Josh, we're going to point the focus on the Mead family when you guys arrived and, you know, maybe speak a little bit about the history of uh, the background of the church, but more specifically to the situation there in Senegal when you arrived and the Lord led you to start beginning the church or we might call revitalizing the church because they kind of had a history before. So fill us in a little bit the gaps of when you arrived and kind of the history of the church as you arrived.
0: Yeah, we got here in 2009, September of 2009, right at the peak of hot season. We began the adjustment to the culture and to the climate and and the food and all kinds of things like that. Uh, And we came knowing what God had led us here to do, to plant the seed of the gospel, to to see churches started. And I I think that's important for every missionary to understand. And you just mentioned it. Our experiences were each unique. I always like to try to visualize things. I'm a very visual type of learner. And so when when the Bible says you're God's building, you are God's husbandry, uh, the Bible says that there's no other foundation that anybody can lay except for that which is laid, Christ Jesus. In my mind, what I see is Everyone who's called to plant the gospel, every church planting missionary has that same basis. We're all going to plant the gospel to build on that foundation of Jesus Christ. But once you start putting up the walls and once you start putting up the decorations and as... The building begins to develop. Each building is going to be unique. Each building is going to be different. So, your experience is different than mine. So, like you said, I, I'm going to be sharing my experience of kind of what we walked into coming into the work here and then where God led us as we developed the church plant here. Uh, it'll be just what we experienced. This isn't the way to do it, you know, like you mentioned. But um, I think some of the things we learned if you're a missionary starting a church and you face similar circumstances, I think it can help. A lot of what we learned going into this church plant was seeking out advice from missionaries who had been there before and who had gone through it. And then I'll say this, another missionary came here, uh, Ron Bragg. He was actually the African director at that time when he came to visit and had spent 17 years in Senegal planting a church here in this city. Uh, He came and right before he left. He spent maybe a week here with us. And he said, Josh, you just keep trying everything you can until something works. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't the idea, right. you co- you know, compromise. He, what he's saying is right. you do everything you can to get the gospel out. And when you find something that works, when you find a tool that's effective, that's reaching people, man, you just keep marching forward with it. And so that's kind of uh, what we did. We came in, began working with another veteran missionary. I told the story a little bit, I think, uh, on one of our previous podcasts, but our expectation when God left us to Senegal, was that we would be working with another missionary who had grown up here in Senegal. And then while we were on deputation, just finishing up, he called us to inform us that he was coming off the field. And so our plan was still to go to Senegal, still to continue and uh, do the work there in, in San Luis specifically. And we came here not knowing if at first, if there was going to be another missionary in country or not. Uh, the Lord led another missionary family right before we got here, and they were there about a, a couple years. So we came in to a work that had already been established, okay? Back about 1976, the first missionaries came to our country, um, Baptist missionaries, and began planting the gospel, began planting the the, you know, the Gospel of Jesus Christ seeking to get a church started. They spent probably, it was about 15 years before the church actually formed, legitimately formed as an actual church. One of the missionaries who was first here, I think he told me he spent six years, maybe, or four years before they ever saw a convert. They were Ready to pack up and go home, he said. I was so discouraged. Um, it's just a difficult place. It's densely populated Islamic, you know, population. Our city, especially, presents many challenges and layers. I remember just before we came, I read an article that said it was a missionary director of a mission agency. And he had said that in all his travels across North Africa, and maybe I mentioned this story before, but it's good reminder, cause this was in my mind coming into the work here. He said in this article of all the Islamic people groups that he's worked with, the Wolof people were the most resistant to the gospel that he had encountered. And that's who we wow. were specifically were coming to work with. And then I remember right before we left uh, Don Sisk, President president emeritus of BIMI, he told me, you know, Josh, of all the countries I've been to in the world, he said, every country has challenges and different layers to overcome when you're trying to do evangelistic work and church planning. He said, but the thing I noticed about Senegal, it seems like they have every challenge all wrapped up into one. Okay. You you have all of them in Senegal. And so <laughs> that I'm like, thanks for the encouragement, you know, so we had oh. that in mind coming in. <laughs> and so it was about 1990 when the church was officially established uh, and they gave the name the African Baptist Church. Uh, at that time, the church had, as I'm told, the church had the largest ladies ministry in all of Senegal. They were preparing I think it was two or three men to become pastors. They had just purchased land. In fact, the building we're sitting in right now where our studios are held for our gospel productions, our church meets here and my family and I live here um, and we do a lot of outreach here as well. This land was purchased by the church in, I think, 1995. So the church, Mm. none of the missionaries gave toward it. So the church, by 1995, the church was able to purchase this land. The land was never never developed. They had a baptismal here, so they would come and do baptism. In fact, Pastor Malik Job, the pastor of our church, he was baptized on this property Mm. when he was a boy, and now he's pastoring You know the church he was baptized in and, and grew up in. And so... We, we came in with kind of that history. Our plans changed kind of. We, we weren't working with the missionary we thought we'd be working with. And then another, another missionary, thankfully, was here to keep the ministry going while in the absence of the missionary who had just left. Now, by the time we got here, the numbers of people attending had really drastically dropped. And that was one of the things we analyzed. So when we talk about the church plant here, in one sense, we really were starting from scratch. Because we started doing church planting ministry in a part of town where. The church wasn't located, and there's really no gospel preaching ministries of any kind in our general neighborhood. And so we were starting from scratch, but at the same time, it was in a sense we were part of a revitalization work because the church had gone through ups and downs. That was one of the things we had noticed is that with each coming of a missionary, the, the numbers would go up. But then unfortunately, when the missionary left, the numbers would seem to dwindle. And so We might talk about later what what Pastor Malik and I kind of analyzed as to why that was. But that's what we walked into. So we came in. There's a missionary here already. Uh, He's kind of maintaining the work. Uh, he's working on the language. He had spent several years in another African country, so he's dealing with even just trying to adjust to the culture here because Senegal is a lot different than even other African countries. Even Africans who come to Senegal struggle with this country, okay, with just some of the cultural aspects, uh, adapting things like that. And so, so yeah, that's kind of what we walked into. We spent the first three years working with the missionary family, and by the end of our third year, uh, we felt it. Was was time for us to take our first furlough. And we had put together kind of our philosophy, our strategy for what we believed God want us to do for our long-term church planting. We were led by the Lord to come out to this property where we are now. And I just really felt God was leading us to develop this property, put up a building and then begin inviting people to come. And I'll talk a little bit about kind of how we did outreach in those early days. But our plan was basically to put up a building as a tool for our church plant. It was almost a little bit backwards. In fact, I had a few people ask me and I had uh, some missionaries (laughs) resistance and kind of how we were strategizing. We decided we're going to put up a building first and then fill it up with people. Normally you start with the people (laughs) and then you fill up the building and you build a building. Uh, But we felt, well, the land is already there and paid for and uh, we'll, we'll use the building as a tool to bring people in And so we'll talk a little bit about some of the strategies specifically we took in using this building as a tool, but we were able, God bless, we raised full support uh, that we needed to build this property. Um, We came back, broke ground Thanksgiving Day about six years ago and uh, put up the building. God has been blessing since then, but that's that's kind of where we were walking into. So we're kind of part of a revitalization process program with the church overall, but then we're starting from scratch in another part of town.
1: Okay. Well, that's a great way to kind of fill us in with the background, understanding the perspective. Now, I think uh, most missionaries, even like myself, um, we understand that each field has its difficulties and differences. But I think if we're all honest, especially missionaries, we understand that there are certain places that are just way more difficult as far as preaching the gospel freely and that's what we want to kind of drill down now maybe flesh out a little bit is this idea of josh working in a predominantly muslim country what are some of the dynamics what is it like evangelizing i know in my case you know in all the years 12 plus almost 13 years passing out tracts and literature i've never feared for my life due to what i believe Um, And the fact is, in 12 plus years of ministry, I think I've only had two or three people ever say no to a gospel track. And to see them on the ground is just sacrilegious in a Catholic country. So we come from totally different backgrounds. Try to explain to us not only the listener who's a missionary in maybe a predominantly religious uh, Christian country like uh, Catholicism or something like that, but... Talk to those who have no idea, even someone who's not involved in missions, what it's like to live in a country and hear the call of prayer, and and to go out into the streets and tell others about Jesus Christ.
0: When you are a Muslim, especially in a country like Senegal or Saudi Arabia, or really in, in, most Muslims in general, Islam is your identity. It's just as much mm-hmm. a part of your identity as any other part of your identity. So. You're a citizen of Senegal, but that is just as much a part of you being Muslim. In other words, they don't distinguish and compartmentalize Mm -hmm. aspects of their life. In fact, here in Senegal, Mm -hmm. the motto for the country is one people, one faith. Okay, And Mm -hmm. obviously, Mm -hmm. Senegal, it's not just Muslims. Okay. In this country, we are predominantly Islamic, mostly Muslims. We are a democracy. We're allowed to have, we have in the constitution, freedom of religion. We are allowed to openly host uh, church assemblies we're allowed to evangelize openly. There's no government pushback or restrictions on that, which is an amazing open door in an Islamic, primarily Islamic country, where we have this freedom to openly share the gospel. There are other fears and and other issues we have to address with persecution, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But that's one of the things you when you come into a country like this, Islam is, it's everything. Your identity as a Muslim is a part of just who you are. And so we're just two doors down from the local mosque where we live. And it's just five yeah. times a day you hear the prayer call. They have some added layers to their their religious faith here, they have a lot of traditional practices that they've added, uh, uh, brotherhoods that have kind of formed mm. that go beyond even what Islam teaches as a religious practice. It's really its own unique form of Islam here that mm. certainly is it's not practiced this way anywhere else in the world. And so they there's a lot of African tradition, traditions and cultural aspects that are blended in with, with the culture. In fact, it's funny, one of the things we joke about a lot, both with Muslims here and with Christians, is a lot of times Muslims will criticize other Senegalese who become Christian, and they'll kind of mock them as following the white man religion. You're just following the white man religion. And I told this to a guy one time, I said, you think that everybody coming to our church is just following the white man religion? He said, yeah. I said, well, first of all, Jesus spent more time in Africa than he did in Europe. And the gospel came to Africa before it came to Europe. And there were churches mm-hmm. in Africa before Europe. But I said, secondly, and it was a joking manner. So we did not want to in rude to each mm-hmm. other. But I said, that's kind of rich. You saying that all of our church members are following the white man's religion. When you're standing here dressed in an Arabic robe with Arabic shoes and an Arabic hat, speaking Arabic, when you pray, carrying an Arabic Quran, like you're, you're following the air, you know, and he kind of laughed, but it's so much yeah. a part of their identity that they don't make that distinction that mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. they've embraced a lot right. of Arab culture, they've, they've owned it. And so there's actually a lot of the approach that Islam has taken and Islamic missionaries have taken here to get the God, to get the Quran and the taught and Islam solidified Mm. among its membership that some of, some of their methods we've kind of considered in how we're going to approach getting the gospel out. And, um, something, you know, things as simple as our neighbor who owns a boutique where you can go and buy your necessities for the day, you know, anything you can find in this little side hole in the wall. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. they will fund a mini Quranic school. So they'll have maybe five or six students that come and learn the Quran that's being funded through this local business. And they have hundreds of those scattered throughout the country. And so part of Mm -hmm. what will develop is, is having you know, little Bible schools that are being funded by local businesses as we get uh, young men established in the faith and get them jobs. We're going to have a future uh, vocational training center that will teach guys how to do jobs, but that's all future church planning. That's that's not right now. We're talking about how we got here. But that being said, yeah, you're living in a country where Islam is is a part of your life. Talking about God is a part of your life. There's advantages and disadvantages to that. One of the advantages is just always having the opportunity to talk about God and talk about faith. And that's a normal part of life. So the door is always open. I I try to tell people this in in the United States. It is a hundred times easier to share the gospel <laughs> with a muslim than with a secular american wow. and so if you have that's, some muslims that's that amazing. exactly if you have muslims that have moved into your neighborhood there in the states try befriend them mm. Generally, Muslims are very open, friendly, family-oriented, and they love talking about their faith. And so try to reach out. It's really not, it's not scary and it's not difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, we share the gospel without restriction. Um, it's, it's the members of our church who face the most persecution. And we'll talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit later. But yeah, we do keep that in mind as we evangelize is that we are asking people to abandon everything, and for me, it's it's very weighty. That's a burden I'm always carrying with me. That here I am, an American missionary who has full support of churches in the states taking care of us. Mm-hmm. That if I get sick, I can get Medevac out here. If something terrible happens, you know we can we can pack up and get back to the states to safety. Me in that situation, we're calling people in this culture to abandon their family, to abandon their culture, not their culture totally, but to be viewed as traitors to their Mm -hmm. culture and society. That's a weighty thing when you're an American missionary thinking, this is the call, but that's the call of Christ. We're called to forsake all, to follow Him. And so a lot of that went into our strategy on how we began doing evangelism early on. We could talk about that as well.
1: Well, what a great response and, and an insight that I thought, because uh, just as a, as a parenthesis, Josh, we've had a lot of people listening to our podcast who are not mission, missionaries pastors just kind of lay people in churches and what a great insight to maybe plug into someone who's listening today about the muslim countries i mean the muslims that are living in america now um i lived in northern virginia and a great majority of my neighbors were muslims and they were wonderful people uh people who as you mentioned were very open to just you know wanting to know more about what it's like to be an american and so we just want to kind of put that parentheses in there if you're listening to this and you have muslim neighbors or someone in your community reach out to them be very engaging with them uh, invite them to community activities your church talk to them uh you're gonna find out uh, they're probably more open than you could possibly imagine so that's really an amazing insight and josh i'm gonna throw you a curveball because last week you threw me a lot of curveballs and i wasn't ready for them. so i'm gonna throw you one but i think you got an answer for this one this is something that has always come from my mindset, looking at your ministry from the very beginning, really even before you got there, um, knowing that this was probably going to be the reality. And now that you've experienced it for more than a decade, this is the question I have with kind of what we were just talking about. How do you have peace and contentment as a missionary when you see probably a much smaller number of people coming to the Lord, uh, being discipled, than say maybe when you... When you look at Facebook at friends and other countries, maybe even countries in your own continent, like I'm thinking, you know, Uganda is some, a place where we see lots of missionaries go and see what we might call spiritual success in the sense of uh, great numbers. Now, I know this is something you were prepared for, understanding that, but now that you've experienced it, how does the Lord bring peace and contentment as you see? Uh, maybe not numerically the same kind of uh, numbers as other missionaries.
0: That's actually something that I had written down that I was going to share in this podcast. Really, it's two things yeah, that help. I
1: couldn't throw a curveball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was prepared for it. No, there, there really were two things that helped shape our approach and that encouraged us to stay, because that was a question I asked myself constantly: how, how do I make the decision to stay here? if I'm not seeing results, how do you gauge success? How do you gauge that you're doing what God wants you to do and that that you're you should stay. I just had this uh, conversation with missionaries that just came here with another mission agency recently. We were talking about that. They said, "Well, what about the verse where it says when they reject the gospel to wipe, you know, shake the dust off your feet?" You know, when mm-hmm. do you know it's time to shake the dust off your feet? And we're not going to go into that context, but Jesus was talking about a very specific ministry of evangelizing Israel within his mm-hmm. time. And so I don't think that applies to every situation and every missionary. What I learned early on is I began seeking the Lord and just, we would go two, three years and barely see anybody respond, knowing that we're being faithful, man, I'm sharing the gospel, but I'm not seeing results. And that is tangibly discouraging. That's objectively Mm -hmm. difficult. Mm -hmm. That's hard Mm -hmm. to process especially when you have a Western mind that's used to analyzing things and then not seeing the results that you expect and not even that you expect, but that you would think would be normal. So what do you, yeah, what, what can get you through that? And I think it was coming to a fundamental understanding of what we are called to do here. And this is what I wrote down. This is what we learned early on that I think gave us the encouragement to stay here longer. And it's this, I wrote down, the measure of success, okay, and using that word and trying to use it in a spiritual manner, but the measure of success is gauged for the minister simply by making Jesus known. It's simply our job To make the gospel known, make Jesus known. If you read the book of Acts in the early chapters of the book of Acts, it doesn't say necessarily. There are some parts where it says how many members were added to the church. But one of the phrases that you'll pick out as you read the book of Acts is that it says the word of God grew and multiplied. The word of God was made known. One thing I learned studying the New Testament when the apostle Paul said that they had made the gospel known to the known world, he wasn't saying that every man, woman, boy, and girl had personally received a a gospel invitation, but what he was saying was, We've made the gospel accessible to the known world, and that is the job of the church in every generation I believe there's a verse in second Corinthians chapter two it's uh, verse 14 that really became an anchor for us during the difficult times as we were beginning our ministry and not only an anchor to keep us encouraged but also it helped it helped really guide our approach and our strategy to doing church planting, especially in a place like here in Senegal. And the verse says this, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor or the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. So Paul is saying, no matter where you go, you will be victorious in the work. So what Paul is saying is that the victory that is guaranteed is that Jesus is being made known by you. Praise be to God who always causes us to triumph in every place and makes manifest the fragrance or the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And so we understood early on, our job is not to see people saved we can't see anybody saved. I can't force anybody to get <laughs> saved. And in fact, I, I told one guy, he said, oh, you're here to convert us, aren't you? And I said, I cannot convert a single Muslim. In fact, we've never converted anybody. It's ne- We don't convert people. Our job is a church right. and our job as gospel preachers is to receive people who are born again. I can't convert nobody, but I can preach the gospel <laughs> and the fact that Jesus is being made known. And here's another thing in this verse that when I when I truly comprehended it, okay, when I truly grasped it, it helped me understand that I can spend 40 years in this country and maybe only see a handful of people saved. And I've still done a work that has pleased and glorified God. Because here's here's what Paul says: listen how the verse continues. He says. He makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place for we are unto God, a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. So God is Mm -hmm. glorified. Okay. We, Jesus is made known when people respond to the call of Christ, but he says, and in them that perish to the one, Mm -hmm. we are a savor or a fragrance of death unto death to the other. We are a savor of life unto life who's sufficient for these things. And here's what I understood okay, as I've studied this passage out, is that what Paul is saying is, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again as the second Adam in complete obedience to God, he 100% brought glory to God as the God-man, as the second Adam. I cannot add to God's glory any more than what (laughs) Jesus already did. He already did it all. My salvation, in fact, does not add any more glory to God than what Jesus already added. In fact, I can partake in glorifying God only because I'm in Christ. And if I'm right. in Christ, it's Christ who's glorifying God through his obedience. I'm nothing. And what Paul is saying, on the contrary, is that because Jesus brought all glory to God and his obedience to the cross, to those who are saved— God is glorified because Jesus is made known and they responded. But then he said to those who are lost, to those who perish, God is just as much glorified because Jesus was made known to them as well, even in their lostness. And that's a hard principle to grasp. But when you understand Mm -hmm. that God is just as much glorified, if I go out here and preach the gospel faithfully, and they hear the gospel and reject it, God is just as much glorified as if they receive it because the fact is Jesus is being made known and there's no greater glory I can bring to God than making Jesus known and lifting the name of Jesus. And so that I just get excited every time I talk about that principle because that's this alone sustained us in those early days when we didn't see a lot of results uh, because it is a difficult country and there are so many obstacles. We spent years here before we saw anybody come to Christ. And um, now we'll talk about maybe in a minute here, let's talk about some of the strategies we took early on. Mm-hmm. But that really was the heartbeat. And missionary, if you're listening and you say, well, you know what? Nobody's responding. And you know, it's, I've been here four years. I'm just not seeing many respond. Maybe it's time to wipe the dust off my feet. No, it's not. It's not time to leave. It is time Mm -hmm. to continue to make Jesus known. That's your job. That's it. You make Jesus known and you do whatever you got to do to make Jesus known. Find every tool available and get out there, preach, get Jesus out there. That's your job. And he'll take care of the results.
1: Yeah, that's really well said. I don't think there's a lot I can add to that will make that better. And I think that's something just to ponder and meditate on. And I think I've always appreciated that about Josh and Julie from the moment I met them was understanding. Um, I think that's probably what's helped them stay long is understanding the obstacles ahead. And that's maybe one of the reasons we're having these these podcast sessions is so that you can maybe do a, a, a good assessment of where you're at as a missionary and the things the challenges you face uh, especially by seeking counsel and uh, that's a really great encouraging word uh, i think probably that's the hardest thing for almost every missionary that has to deal with especially if they come from uh, what we call a western mindset an american mindset of you know looking for results and what i have done instead of uh, understanding what christ has done and just being contented uh, to live in christ and, uh, and follow him obediently. Um, so with that in mind, Josh, let's talk a little bit more about the practical side. And you know, I think it's a very interesting dynamic as we learned last week a little bit about what our approach was here in the Dominican. Let's talk a little bit about your approach uh, in starting the church there in a the different part of town, how you conducted services, how you developed contacts. And I, I specifically have noticed from years of following you guys on Facebook, how you even implemented the culture into those church services how those senegalese church services go as i've seen you in some interesting garb. so explain to us a little bit about that
0: yeah so early on i read a book entitled organic church so this concept isn't original with me and there were some good points in the book just like every other book you can take and leave different things from it but that concept that he was putting across organic church was the idea of if you were to break down to the, just the core fundamental elements of what is church? What is a church? Get down to the very bare bones of what the church is and then build it out from there. And that was really the approach we decided to take with our church planting here. We were going to take the church down. Just get down to the bare minimums of what makes a church and then let it build from there. So, in other words, I I always try to liken it this way for our approach for church planting so that we could develop an indigenous church that would grow within the context of the culture here and not just be an American Senegalese mixture of church that kind of grows up as this hybrid. Okay. And sometimes missionaries, do that without even thinking because our training, our background, a lot of Americans don't, I'm not trying to be offensive, but a lot of Americans equate being American with being Christian. Okay. They, they kind of American culture is Christian culture. And it's, so Mm -hmm. what we decided to do to avoid having any type of Western influence that was even unconsciously being brought in We wanted it to be a Senegalese church. Uh, We just broke it down to just Bible reading is how we started our church uh, time. And I'll get to that in a minute. But the way I likened it to how we started was if I was to take a tree, okay, that isn't from this country, it's not indigenous to Senegal, if I was to take that and put it in a pot and set it in our front yard people would stop and say oh that's a neat tree Um, that's unique it's not from here but obviously it's in a pot so it's not part of here so it wouldn't really be that big of a deal people would understand that's not part of us so it's fine that it's here but it's not our tree but if we were to take that same tree and plant it in the ground and cultivate it so that it would grow in the soil here then people are going to stop and say what is going on like this this isn't supposed to be here so that's the Mm -hmm. thing with the church the goal is not to be culturally relevant okay relevancy Mm -hmm. is not the goal because relevancy and cultures they're fluid they they change um Uh, that the biggest problems of churches in the states are just trying to stay Mm -hmm. you know culturally relevant Uh, truth is always relevant Mm -hmm. to the need of man, whether it's culturally relevant or not. Okay. And so we wanted to break it down to, let's just take the truth of the gospel, the bare bones, the bare minimum, and let's get it planted in the soil. And we'll let all the accoutrements of let's all the cultural aspects, the way we dress at church, the way we sing at church, we wanted all that to be a natural result of the word of God being Mm -hmm. planted in the hearts and lives of the people we're reaching. So what we decided to do is we're going to put up a building. Okay. So we kind of put the cart before the horse. We didn't have any people attending yet, but we wanted a place where we could receive people. Uh, We're in an Islamic country. It's very difficult to share the gospel publicly, even though we're allowed to. There's a stigma if you're a Muslim and you start doing a Bible study with somebody. So we didn't want to build a church building. So we decided we're going to build a structure that looks like a house. We live in a densely populated neighborhood. Uh, We have all of our walls are butted right up against, you know, neighbors and their building. and, And we live in a very tight knit area. And so we decided we're going to build this structure to look like a house. So that when we receive people, people don't think they're going to a church, and we'll get much more, many more Muslims to come. We also decided we're not going to put the word church on the on mm-hmm. the building because number one, it's not a church. The building isn't the church, and that's not just a cliche saying. Mm-hmm. It's literally the building isn't a mm-hmm. church. Uh, we had one friend who was very adamant. He said, "You have to put the word church on your building," and I said, "But it's just my family and I. We're not even a church yet." Like. We're we're planting the gospel so that a church will result. Mm-hmm. Um, my mm-hmm. job, we, we don't have time to get into this, so I won't make that statement yet about church planning. But the point is, we're here to plant <laughs> the gospel, and so we're going to use this building as a tool, just like your building where you're at in Dominican Republic, the building your church meets at is a tool for your church to meet and and gather and do ministry. We decided Mm -hmm. we're gonna build this structure as a tool to do evangelization. It's not a church building, it's a tool. So it's gonna be built like a house. Uh, We had many different outreaches that we would run out of it. We had a library. And what I did our first term was just analyze what other missionaries were doing in Islamic countries. And I wanted to take the best of what they were doing and then implement it into our outreach and so we were doing friday night uh, video productions that we were showing videos that we were doing and other gospel films in the wolof language uh, we would have a a library open during the daytime uh, we would have even uh, computers available for students to come and study uh, we would do all kinds of different things just i even opened up a um a gym a exercise room in one of the rooms in the building here wow. so at nighttime you'd have a guy come in to go work out and then one of our uh national partners he could get paid to oversee that so he had a job uh to help support himself plus we were making contacts with young mm-hmm. men but then if somebody mm-hmm. came in at the same time i'd be in another room holding a Bible study. So if somebody came to the Bible study, the neighbors wouldn't think they're just coming to study the Bible. They didn't know if they're coming to work out or to watch a video or, or do what, you know? And so part of our initial approach was to develop what we call the Nicodemus outreach, Nicodemus, because of his, the culture and because of his status, he came to Jesus by night and sometimes mm-hmm you're in a country where the people you work with, Paul even said this, that some people he taught in secret, lest his labor be in vain, because sometimes you have to walk with people where they're at uh, before they're ready to come out publicly as being a follower of Jesus. And so we set it up in such a way that people could come here without feeling like, first of all, Muslim just won't come to church. Okay. You can't get them to come to church. Mm -hmm. I had one guy come when we were at our former location, our first term, and that's when it was written as a church building. And, uh, he came to study the, compare the Quran and the Bible together And he came on a Monday, but he stood at the door. He said, can you come out here, Dauda? Dauda is what I'm called here. I said, yeah. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, I brought my Quran, but my Imam told me that I can't bring a Quran inside a church. And I said, well, (laughs) I said, technically, this isn't a church. It's just a building. It's concrete, stone, and paint, you know. He's like, well, I'm not allowed. I said that that's fine. We'll sit outside and we can do the comparison, you know? And so um, very difficult to get a Muslim come to church. Mm -hmm. But when we started doing our Sunday morning Bible reading time, because we didn't call it a church and because we went about a year and a half doing every outreach on every day, except for Sunday, when we finally started doing a Sunday morning Bible reading time, every week we had new Muslim visitors because they didn't view this place as a church. And then when we started our Bible reading time, we simply read a passage in the gospel. I gave a sense of the meaning of what was being taught. And then we opened it up to questions. Uh, Malik, Pastor Malik joined us about a year and a half into that. And um, we continued that. So the first three years of our church plant, it was very simply Sunday morning was simply we gathered, We read a passage of scripture from the gospels, and then we opened it up to, we gave a sense of what it was saying. Pastor Malik and I would both share a thought from it, and then we would open it up to questions and answer questions that were relevant to the passage we had just read. We did that for three years, and that was just three years of planting the gospel seed. Rather, we didn't have singing service. We didn't have, we didn't do anything. We just got down to the bare bones of building the church through the word of God And uh, where we are today, I mean, it's just, it's been amazing to watch how that's cultivated. The culture, the the identity of the church has grown hand in hand with the culture and the word of God. And so when somebody comes in and all they're getting fed is the word and they're not being told this is the way church is supposed to be done right off the bat. Uh, One guy told me the other day, he said, you know, what drew me to come to your church He's in his, has a Muslim background. He said, what drew me to come to your church is you don't, you have, you don't even have a cross hanging up in your, your building here. Mm -hmm. You don't have any icons, any symbols. You have nothing. It's just the Bible being done. I said, well, that's what it's all about, you know? And so it really opened up a lot of doors to get the gospel seed planted. And it allowed the word of God to influence the culture, but then it let the culture as it's being purified by the word of God, become an essential part of the identity of the church as it grew from there. And so our church really does, I I believe with all my heart, has a strong Senegalese cultural identity that um, if we had to leave tomorrow, I can say this with 100% confidence, if we had to leave tomorrow and could never come back to Senegal, the church would continue because we didn't build a church on our personality or anything that's Western, it's a pure Senegalese church and, um, it will continue to move forward. And so, but it took that, it took years, three, four years of being willing to not, it was tough. My wife is like, when are we going to start singing? I love singing. I said, I know, but this is just, we have to, (laughs) we have to let the process play out so that, we get rooted in the word of God and in the gospel and let it grow naturally in this soil of the Wolof culture.
1: Well, that's extremely fascinating to hear how the Lord has directed you um, very patiently over the years. I think maybe if there's a word that is underplayed in missions is patience. And um, we can talk about that in another podcast, but boy, it sure takes time to wait on the Lord. And um, it's exciting to see how the Lord could use things like a gym and, you know, a, I think get a library at different times and videos and things, all these different tools and to really uh, help recalibrate our focus to saying, you know, the the church is not about facilities. It's the church building, you know, I wonder how much America could even change if we focused more on understanding the church is the people. And um, that's not to be cr- criticized of the churches it's, all of us can understand that you know ministry it really is just about people and uh, it's so neat how in so many of our mindsets about missions we think of missionaries going out into a street or knocking on a door and how in a lot of cultures specifically yours that's a very difficult thing you need them to come to you and how you can open these doors and allow them to have a really a safe safe haven uh, a place where they can ask questions and not necessarily feel like they are in the middle of a church service where they're turning their back on their identity. And as we make this transition and the questioning, I want to kind of turn to really maybe the, the blessings. We kind of finish the, the practical part and maybe we'll try to blow through some of these uh, principles we've written down. But, um, you know, what are some of the ch- blessings and challenges in those early days for your church plant? I know we've talked a little bit kind of where we've gotten to now i know in our case for me kind of all through the time the greatest blessings we're seeing lives transformed and ultimately families transformed by the power of the gospel and the satisfaction that the lord gives us to be a part of that and then i would say the challenges is to see your time invested in someone uh who falls away and so really it's just seeing the people and their lives transformed how about you guys in your early days seeing the blessings and the challenges
0: It's true. Missionaries and pastors and anybody involved in ministry is going to face those challenges and they'll see blessings. You know, some, I think the main, the main challenge for us was just that trusting the process, right? Um, There were other things we could have done because there are different ethnic groups here and we have a university, for example, outside of town. Um, I was invited to speak at a couple things at that university. And when, when I address and preach to a Muslim, I'm gonna preach and even my style may be a little different than if I'm preaching to somebody from a Christian background, okay? Um, who mm-hmm. already understands. It's gonna be more teaching when you're working with a Muslim. And I was invited to preach at a, a thing at a university. And, you know, everybody's wants to be there. They're excited and amen. And so you you get into it, right? Here, you, but then you come back here and it's like, man, why don't we go start a church out there? We could have a big church going, you know? It didn't help as well that one time a, um, a Brazilian missionary who worked here for several years, he said, Josh, he said, Josh, if you go to Brazil in two years, you'll have a church of 200 people. No problem. I said, well, don't tell me that. Like, you know, we got one. <laughs> five people coming after two years here. So it's, uh, that was the biggest challenge was just not just the discouragement of the ups and downs and how long it took to see the church take root, but the challenge of trusting the process of knowing that God, these are biblical principles we're putting into practice. We're not going to cut any corners in this. We want to see an indigenous culturally relevant Senegalese church that is planted here that 50, 60 years from now, when we're long gone, this church is still going and it's making an impact. And that's Mm -hmm. only done by trusting that process in the early days. And there's, you know, other missionaries here had told different stories of, um, you know, I mentioned the early missionaries in the nineties, they were training about three or four guys for the ministry all three of them bombed out one guy stole money from a japanese missionary here and and hit the road another guy stole money and went and built a house with it and we never saw they never saw him again and so it was just one thing after another of discouragements here and so yeah you're going to face different challenges different discouragements but Learn, I would say at the same time, to write down the blessings. Remember the blessings in the ministry. There's so many of them. I try to keep a notebook and write down anytime there's been a blessing or an amazing story. And this probably would be a good transition as we close out here into a couple principles that I wrote down that really were guiding principles of our philosophy and our church planting approach in the early days. And that first principle has to do with the blessings. And I wrote down this, find out and plug into what God is doing. Okay. When you go where God sends you, then you'll discover that God has often gone before you and he's already at work there. Okay. That's, I think, key for missionaries. to Understand God called you to this place. Know that he's already at work there. He's there long before you. And God cares far more about the souls of the people you're reaching than you ever could. And so he has a plan for you and learn to see the blessings of how God is working. There's so many stories I could tell. I just want to tell two of them. One is it was about a week before we were going to open up our center here. okay? And, you know, we had a few people that were resisting kind of our approach. Now, our mission director and our board was 100% behind once we gave the vision of what we were planning on doing, but there are a couple others who are saying, you know, you're putting the cart before the horse. I just don't agree with what you're doing. And I remember uh, one of them was here who was kind of putting that pressure on us. They didn't really want us to approach it this way by putting a building up and, and uh, using it as a tool, I guess, to evangelize. He felt we needed to have people before we built a building. And I understand that. But I remember <laughs> your pastor came, Pastor Pittman. He came and helped us do construction here. And I didn't, I didn't talk with him about this discussion I was having with another missionary. But on the final night, we all gathered together and he did a devotional. And his main point was this. He said, no, I want the members of my church who are here tonight helping build, I want you to understand. He said, this may be an unusual approach to build a building before you have any church people or any converts, but he said, I want you to know we have a missionary, we support him in South America that that's how he does his work. They'll build a building in a village. Then they fill it up with people as they evangelize. And he said, we're hundred percent behind you, Josh, in what you're doing. And that was an encouragement to me. He didn't know yes, that. Great, he didn't know story. that we were getting pressure, you know, from others. And that just was a boost. Then they left. So your church left and I'm already excited. Okay. That was an encouragement that knowing that he gets it, he's behind what we're doing. We're about two weeks away from opening and I'm coming up to our building, getting everything set up, the library set up, all of the tracks set up, our gospel films ready. And as I'm approaching our center, there was a crowd of men gathered around our front door. And I thought, oh, man, they're here to stop (laughs) us. You know, they found out what we're doing here. They're going to chase us out. And as I get closer to the crowd, there's an old gentleman I had never met before. He's sitting in the middle of the crowd. And he looks up to me and says, hey, Tubob. I said, white guy. I said, "Uh, yeah. He said, "Uh, Tubob, do you know Ron Bragg? I said, Yeah, Ron Bragg. He he was a missionary here for 17 years. He's the director of our mission. He said, Of course, I know Ron Bragg, too. He was my neighbor. He was the greatest <laughs> to Bob I ever knew the nicest guy <laughs> he turned to all the other guys, all my neighbors and said, This was such a great guy. Then he looked at me and said, Do you know La Mission Baptiste? Do you know the Baptist mission? I said, well, that's what this is. What Ron Bragg did in your neighborhood, we're doing here in this neighborhood. All the great stuff he did, we're going to do it here. We're the same mission. Mm -hmm. And this Muslim gentleman, an older guy, which we're in a culture, when an older person speaks, Mm -hmm. it's respected. He turned to all my neighbors and said, this is a good work. You get behind mm. this guy. Don't ever give him wow. any trouble. Don't cause him any <laughs> issues. If he ever needs help, you help him. And they're all nodding their heads. Of course, I'm nodding my head. Yeah, listen to this guy. <laughs> I I never met him before wow. that. I never saw him after that. But I just wow. knew God sent him there that day. And I thought, forget two weeks. We're opening up tomorrow. Like, we're getting this going. <laughs> and so it's those stories of blessings. You <laughs> need to write those stories down and and, and learn them and then understand that you're here this was the second principle i wrote down you're not here to build a ministry okay you're here to build a life all right that was one thing that pastor malik job when we first discussed some of the missionaries he had worked with in the past and he had worked with several different missionaries in different parts of senegal not just with our mission but other places and he said, one of the things I've noticed, and he said, I'm not knocking the missionaries. We are grateful for their investment and in how they they brought the gospel to us. And my family saved because missionaries sacrificed and came and shared the gospel. But he said, I noticed a lot of times there was a tendency, not with all, but with some, to after they moved back to the States or to another ministry, the contact was lost and he said that relationship was lost. And it was almost as if he said, sometimes I would question, were they just here for the work of a ministry? Were they actually building? And it's hard to, you can't, you know, evaluate motives, but I get how that could come across as Were you just trying to build a ministry? Was your relationship truly profound? And granted, that was back in a day when it was much more difficult to stay in touch with people. But that being said, that was not a critique of any missionaries. I knew all I knew for my own self when he said that was, I don't want to be here just to build a work. I want to build my life here. And I think if you start Mm. with that approach that I'm here to build my life as a gospel preacher then the relationships that form out of that will be lifelong and i do believe with all my heart that no matter where god leads us senegal is going to play a major role in our ministry till the day we die and uh, i and that's just that's what my prayer is wherever god leads us in the future and so those things are really important you know developing those relationships and so much of your early days of church planting is and it always is even as you continue cultivating relationships, building relationships, and uh, mm-hmm. making it real, you know. And so I think those those are important blessings that uh, see how God is at work, write down those blessings and those neat stories of how God has worked, and then cultivate relationships and let the relationships with the nationals that you develop, let those be real and let those mm-hmm. be a blessing to you. Um, because it's not just a work that you're building you're building your life in this country and these relationships can be meaningful deep relationships uh, that you can develop so don't take that for granted i would say
1: oh that's a, that's a tremendous point uh, i would say just to piggyback on that you know have a long term approach and, you know god he can move you to different parts of the country Um, But be where you are. Be planted there until God has the next thing for you. Have that long-term approach. Be patient and really enjoy your life with those you're ministering to. I remember some of the special times we had very early on when Holly started having babies here on the mission field where the people in our church would throw her baby showers. And those are very special times. We look back and see those pictures, how they, they wanted to love on us and how very quickly that bond grew by building our life together with those we were ministering with. And so I know we don't have a lot of time left, Josh, maybe we finish up with one or two of these principles you've written down.
0: Yeah, I would say final, even let's just talk about this one last one um, that I wrote. I have a few more. We can talk on another podcast Mm -hmm. about some of these other principles. But one of the things that I think is essential for an individual, especially if you're a missionary or any organization and even a church is this, consistently and constantly evaluate mm-hmm. where you are in ministry and outreach okay so we would regularly in the early stages when it was just me and my family okay i would always constantly evaluate okay is this outreach effective are we mm-hmm. are we fulfilling the main purpose for which god has called us here and as our ministry grew As a church team, as a leadership team, we would gather and constantly evaluate different ministries. Pastor Malik and I would gather, and we really had a rule of thumb. If we started an outreach program, let's say it's food distribution, okay, something as worthy as that. You know, if Mm -hmm. there's somebody has a need, we open up a food bank, we're doing food distribution. If we evaluated that ministry and found that it's taking up X amount of time But because of the time it's taking up, it's taking either taking away from another ministry where we're directly sharing the gospel, or it's not allowing us to advance the gospel, then we would cut it. In Mm -hmm. other words, anything that distracted from the objective of evangelization, discipleship, Mm -hmm. or relationship building. And those are the key things of, of getting the church started was evangelization, discipleship, and relationship building. Anything that distracted from that was, we would cut it, we would nix it. And um, you have to be able to be honest with yourself with evaluating where you're at. Maybe it's something you enjoy doing, but if it begins to Mm -hmm. distract from your main purpose. And so we would sit down, Pastor Malik and I, we would discuss our gospel film night on Friday nights. Are we still able to share the gospel? Mm -hmm. Um, When we do ministry with in chronic schools, for example, we made it a policy that unless we're able to share the gospel, if we go to a chronic school and distribute food, because a lot of times at the chronic school, these are street kids, kids that are sent mm-hmm. to our city, they live on the street, they beg, they have a lot of needs, but then they spend the evenings learning the Quran. So it's not a traditional chronic mm-hmm. school, like in a mainstream Muslim country. So we'll be invited to help out. We'll do like a soccer club with some of these Tally Bay kids that these uh, street kids that work that live at the chronic school. But we've made it a rule if we're going to distribute gifts, if we're going to distribute food or if we're going to do a soccer club with their school, we have to be able to share the gospel because we have to be able to share the why. Why are we doing it? Mm -hmm. Okay. sometimes you'll hear people say, preach the gospel and use words if necessary the dumbest thing i've ever heard you preach the gospel okay we're not here we're not here just to make people's lives better and then they go to hell now we share the gospel and that's connected with love and works. Okay. The gospel is always connected with good works. Let your light so shine. Jesus said that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. And so of course you're going to do these good works, But we decided early on we're not going to start any ministry or we're not going to continue any ministry or outreach that is a distraction or a drain on another ministry that might allow us a more direct approach of sharing the gospel. So that's just one thing I I think was important is you have to always self-evaluate. Okay, don't get into a rut. Uh, one, one, our director came out and this was a really neat thing that he shared. He said, I would go on furloughs, uh, Eric Bowman, he, we're going to have him on here for an interview in the near future. But he told me this, he said, Josh, I would go on furlough when I was a missionary in Kenya and I would turn over the ministries to the national leadership. He said, if I came back from furlough and one of the ministries that I started was no longer functioning. He said, I would just Mm -hmm. let it stop. I wouldn't try to revitalize it or restart Mm -hmm. it because he said, that's probably telling me one of two things. Either God wasn't in it in the first place, or it's not a culturally relevant ministry that is sustainable Mm -hmm. by the national church. And I thought, man, that's such a great insight, such a great point. Don't be so bullheaded and stubborn Mm -hmm. that, well, this is my ministry and this is my way and this is the approach we need to take just get down to when you're planting a church, your job is to make Jesus known. And as your ministry grows, always be willing to be honestly, to honestly evaluate where you're at. Are you still fulfilling your calling? to which God called you to in the first place. And that is to make Jesus known in getting the gospel out. So that's one thing, I guess I just wanted to end on that. There's, there's a lot more we could add about some of the different approaches we took, but I think I covered most of how we, you know, we really just to get the church started was a process of four years before I could really, we really could say that, you know, this is a church and it was just the bare bones of, of just sharing the gospel, opening it up to questions. Now we still do that. Uh, we, we have a regular service to this day. If you came to our church service today, it would be a a regular church service. You'd feel, you know, like any other place, but that's a model that we're going to now reproduce in other parts of Senegal Mm -hmm. as we plant churches throughout different regions. We're going to follow that model of the organic church plant of just starting with the gospel seed and planting it, in the soil of whatever region we're going to.
1: I think that's really fascinating to hear all the aspects concerning your specific country. But also, you know, listener, if you're listening here and you understand, you know, Josh went through a a long litany of different um, ministries that he has attempted. Some worked as far as propelling people to come and, and hear the gospel, but he's constantly trying different ways to Tell others about Jesus. And that's really what you do as a missionary. You constantly are looking for ways to share the gospel. And I'm sure we'll have an episode on, you know, not necessarily strategies, but maybe, you know, creative ways to uh, either get into someone's house to tell them the gospel or have them come to you to hear the gospel. And so, you know, there's a book. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have read it before by Tom Rainer and Eric Geiger. It's Simple Church. They deal with a lot of those principles where they're just saying you know you need to be constantly keeping the main thing and the focus of your crosshairs and everything else that doesn't help you accomplish that really needs to take a back seat or just be eliminated and i think that is a uh, tremendous way to look at it as a missionary and you know what sometimes in your life there are things that are great for the time and then god allows you to use other ministries but Everything is the focus on telling others about Jesus Christ and allowing Him uh, to change their lives. And so as we conclude today, uh, just a reminder, let us know uh, what you think about the podcast. Maybe you want to add something uh, to what we've been saying, or maybe you want to disagree. Say, hey guys, I don't know if I disagree uh, necessarily with that point. Boy, we really open, we are open to any of your feedback. Uh, And if we don't like your feedback, we'll just delete it. No, I'm just teasing. We want to hear what you have to say. And uh, please, you can contact us through our email address, which is missionaryperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to our Facebook page, which is The Missionary Perspective Podcast. Send us a message. Uh, Let us know what you think. Let us know how we can do a better job. Uh, Give us some suggestions on some future uh, discussion points and interviews. And uh, Josh, thanks so much for sharing your heart today. Why don't you conclude us
0: today? Yeah, and I just want to add, we we want to hear that feedback from you. Uh, we want to build a community around um, kind of what we're trying to do here, which is just building a community of missionaries and members of churches and pastors who have a desire to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So check us out online, go to Facebook and uh, follow our page. I think here in the near future, Eric, we want to start a Facebook group where we can have these discussions more openly. So keep your eyes open for that and join the group. Once we get the missionary perspective podcast group started, also head on over to Facebook, uh, YouTube, actually, You'll probably have to go to Facebook first maybe to find the link or I'll leave a link somewhere here on the podcast that you're listening to so you can go over to YouTube and subscribe if you want to watch it. This is our actual first video podcast that we're doing so if you're listening you can also go watch the audio and see our ugly mugs up here on video if you want to face (laughs) for podcast that's right (laughs) we want you to join the conversation and interact with us we want to do more missionary interviews so be in touch with us Uh, we love the feedback we've been getting already send us in questions as we continue to cultivate this podcast of dealing with issues and missions from a missionary perspective. Thanks so much for tuning in. God bless.